we're going into part five today on our Listening Prayer in Bounds series. And this weekend and next weekend, I'm going to uh, wind this uh, series up. After that, Pastor A will be back, and uh, it'll be April. And, um, and there we have some neat things that we're going to do in April and lead up to Easter and the building campaign and all that sort of stuff. So in the second half of today's message and then into next week, uh, we want, I want to just start getting intensely practical. We're going to uh, start talking about cell groups. We're going to start talking about some actual rules and guidelines, do's and don'ts. Uh, when you're trying to receive a word from the Lord and when you're trying to share with someone else a word from the Lord, okay? And so that'll be in the second half of this uh, message. In the first half of this message, I want to pu- finish off um, uh, uh, look for confirmation, guideline number one uh, in our Listening Prayer Inbounds uh, series. And what we've been looking at so far is just this guideline number one, and that is how do we test things that we think we're hearing from God to ensure that they're actually from God, Right? Because just because you think you've heard something from God doesn't mean it's actually from him, right? It could just be silly old human you making a mistake, or it could be something more sinister. It could be your flesh talking or sinful desires or even uh, the devil or whatever, right? So just before you, you know, act on something, because God told you to do this, before you, you know, take a new job or move to another city or make some other big decision based on something you think God is saying to you, you want to first look for confirmation and make sure it's really God, right? And uh, that's what we've been looking at so far. And, And so, so far in this series, we've looked at five tests. And uh, they are, if you want to put those up for me there, Myron, um, we've got words, thoughts, pictures, which keep getting repeated, circumstances, which come together with what you're hearing, God's blessing follows your obedience, the Holy Spirit gives you a a scripture passage, which is a really important one. If If you feel like God is telling you some kind of big thing he wants you to do, uh, you want to ask God to give you a scripture passage to confirm it, right? So that's really important. And then last week, we started into agreement from godly, trusted people, which is another important, very important pillar in the confirmation process, all right? When you think God's talking to you, if you're the only one hearing it, and none of the other godly people around you, they're not getting that, then what you're hearing is, is uh, quite a bit suspect, Right? But if you think you're hearing from God and other godly people and trusted people that you know, spirit-filled people, if they also bear witness, yeah, I think that that's God, well, that's a big form of confirmation, all right? And so I want to finish off this one, and then in the second half we'll move of this message, we're going to move to uh, guideline number two, and we're going to start uh, getting even more practical and some rules and do's and don'ts and that sort of thing. But first, just bow your heads with me and close your eyes, and let's just uh, pray. Heavenly Father... First of all, I want to pray one last time here this weekend for the encounter retreat that is wrapping up now, and uh, Stefan and Donovan and Zach and Manuki out there leading this one, Jesus, and and about 90 people again out there. Father, I just pray now in the final final hour of of that retreat, Lord Jesus, I pray that every person there is that they will go home having gotten something powerful from you. And Lord, these people have invested uh, time and money in going on this retreat. I pray that every one of them is going to reap a harvest, Lord, spiritually, Father, in their emotions, in freedom, in the filling of your Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus. They're going to reap a harvest as a result of going on this retreat, Lord Jesus, and keep them all safe as well in the drive home. And Lord, uh, we also pray for this service now. Uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill me, help me to say the things you want me to say in the spirit you want me to say them. And I pray that you would just open up all of our spiritual ears and eyes, Father, to receive everything that you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, just again, a little bit of review. I know uh, some of you, uh, most of you have been here throughout this series. 
uh, but some of you are new here. So just quickly to catch us up on, on what we talked about last week. Last week we looked in Acts 11 verse 18, right? We've been in this uh, series studying Acts chapters 10 and 11, which is the story of the Apostle Peter, right? Going to Cornelius' house and winning that first Gentile convert. And then he has to explain to the Jewish church leaders why what he did was from God and not just something that he made up, right? And so he gives them a list of things. And, uh, and confirmation number five that he's hearing from God correctly is that at the end of telling them everything, they say this, when the others heard this, so the other Jewish church leaders, they stopped objecting and began praising God. They said, we can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. And so again, agreement. Other godly people, they listen to Peter's scripture. They listen to P- Peter's experience. They listen to what he thinks he's hearing from God and they go, yep. That is definitely God. And that's a very important uh, form of confirmation. And we need to also have the humility in our lives to look for confirmation from other people when we think we're hearing from God. And so then the question I asked last week is, well, who do I pull into that process, right? I mean, there's lots of people who are, you know, godly people in the world and, and or at least there's many people that look godly, right? And so who do I pull into this confirmation process? And there's two different groups I want to look at. And uh, last week we looked at one and in the first half of this, mar- uh, this message, well, marriage, uh, yeah, you know, service number four, I just start saying weird things. But, but uh, in the first half of this message, we'll look at number two. But just to review last week, uh, we said the first group of people that you want to pull into to anything you think God's telling you to do something is anybody who has a say in the decision or has authority over you in the area where you are going to make that decision, right? And this is just really important because if you think you're hearing something from God, okay, uh, listening prayer is not a ticket for you to just make unilateral decisions without other people's input or permission, right? And so the obvious example that I shared last week is you feel like God's telling you to do something in your finances, but if you're married, you still have to get input from your spouse, right? So it's not an excuse. Just because you think you're hearing from God doesn't mean you don't need permissions from your boss, from your spouse, from other people who have a say in the decision. Okay? And so that's the first one. That's what we spent last week looking at. You've got to include those people in the decision-making process. All right? Even, by the way, if they're not godly. It might be an unsaved boss. It might be an unsaved spouse. They still have a say in the decision. All right? Very important. Second uh, group of people, though, that we want to look at today is many of you will listen to the message last weekend and realize that there's lots of situations where God's asking you to do something and it's just you who has to make the decision, right? You might be a business person and God's telling you to sell your business or buy a new business or, or move out in some risky new way or you might be a young adult and God's telling you to go to a school and you're trying to figure out which school to go to or whatever it is. There's lots of decisions where we're not part of a team and, you know, that team has to help us make the decision. So then the question is, well, then... Then who do we go to for confirmation, right? And that's what I want to look at in the first half of this message. And so this is the other group that you want to go to for confirmation. That is this, godly wise people, and here's the important part, who aren't afraid to tell you what you don't want to hear. All right? So you, you feel God's asking you to do something big or take some risky move or change something that you're doing, move somewhere, whatever. The important thing is you want to run this by some people, but you don't want to just run it by anyone. You don't want to just grab, you know, anyone who's breathing at church, you know, the person beside you, well, I'm just going to go for confirmation right here because you can hear God, so I'm just going to go to you. No, 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 no. In a confirmation process, if you go going to the wrong people, you may as well not get confirmation at all. I mean, you can go, there are some people, they don't even have the courage to say anything but yes, okay? 
And these are wonderful people. I'm not trying to insult people like that here today. But if you're like, we, there's certain people out there, they're always happy, they're always encouraging, they're always positive. And those are the type of people you want to go to when you are depressed and discouraged, okay? But when you have a big decision to make, that's not who you go to. Okay? When you have a big decision to make, you want to go to someone who has the courage to tell you things that you might not like to hear. And it's actually true. You know, our human, our human uh, uh, kind of our bent, the thing, our, what we gravitate to is we all gravitate to people who tell us what we want to hear. And that is a very, very dangerous thing to do in a confirmation process. And again, like I said before, if you're just going to go to someone who's going to tell you what you want to hear, you may as well just stay home and do what you want to do, Right? But if you actually care, what does God really want me to do? What is God's actual will? I want to actually do the true thing that God is actually saying to me. Then you've got to go to someone who has the courage to tell you anything. And, uh, and that's really important. So I want to actually read you a story now from the Old Testament. I love this story. Okay, this, is a, this is a great story. It's from 1 Kings uh, 22. And uh, this story just exemplifies, okay, it exemplifies, it's an amazing story, it just shows this human desire to only listen to people who say what we want, okay? And I'll just give you a little background to the story so that you kind of, so the story makes more sense, okay? A little bit of background. This is a story about King Ahab, okay? And uh, for those of you who don't know who King Ahab is, when you're reading the Old Testament, okay, King Ahab is the king, whenever you're reading about the prophet Elijah, we've all heard about the prophet Elijah, I'm sure, the prophet Elijah, his nemesis is King Ahab, and King Ahab's nemesis is, is Elijah, okay? It's that king. And, uh, and this, this story that I'm going to read you in 1 Kings 22 takes place about 80 years after the death of King Solomon, okay? So by this point, the nation of Israel has split in two, right? Okay? Just a little bit of history here, otherwise this story's not going to make sense, okay? Uh, under King David and King Solomon... The Israelite nation, it was 12 tribes. They were governed by one king. And then because of Solomon's sin, when Solomon's son took over, Rehoboam, the, 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 the 12 tribes split into two different nations. And the 10 northern tribes kept the name Israel. But after, after Solomon, whenever you read Israel, it's not the same as is, when you read Israel before Solomon. Before Solomon, the name Israel means the 12 tribes of Israel. After Solomon, it means the 10 northern tribes. They were called Israel. And then there was a second nation born, and that was the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin. Okay? So during this, uh, during this story in 1 Kings 22, King Ahab is the king of Israel, and King Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah. Okay? And, uh, and, uh, and what's happening in the lead up to the story is there's been a big war between Israel, the ten northern tribes, and the country of Syria, also in some of your translations known as Aram, okay? But Syria and Israel have a fight. As a result of this war, uh, Syria takes over some valuable land from Israel, okay? And a couple years after the war, Ahab still hasn't gotten that land back, and he gets together with his buddy Jehoshaphat from the southern kingdom, okay? And uh, they get together, and King Ahab says, why don't you come help me get this land back from Syria, okay? That's the background of the story. Now just let me read this to you, okay? First Kings 22. For three years, there was no war between Aram, that's Syria, and Israel, okay? Then during the third year, King Jehoshaphat of Judah went to visit King Ahab of Israel. During the visit, the king of Israel said to his officials, do you realize that the town of Ramoth-Gilead belongs to us? And yet we've done nothing to recapture it from the king of Aram. Then he turned to Jehoshaphat and asked, Will you join me in battle to recover Ramoth-Gilead? And Jehoshaphat replied to the king of Israel, Why, of course, you and I are as one. My troops are your troops and my horses are your horses. 
Then Jehoshaphat added, but first let's find out what the Lord says. Oh, okay, we're off to a good start, okay? I mean, you're going to go to war. Some people are going to die. It's a good thing to figure out what does God really want, right? Okay? So we're off to a good start. Jehoshaphat says, let's, let's discern the will of God. Let's get some confirmation here of what, of what God really wants. And Ahab totally agrees, okay? Ahab goes, oh, completely agree with you. In fact, I know just who to ask for confirmation, okay? So next verse. So the king of Israel summoned the prophets, about 400 of them. Okay, so we've been talking about getting confirmation from people. They're going to get it from 400 people, okay? So that's, that's, it seems like a good idea, right? And asked them, should I go to war against Ramoth Gilead or should I hold back? And they all replied, yes, go right ahead. The Lord will give the king victory. Now I want to stop there for just a moment, okay? Um, because many of you will know this story. We obviously know King Ahab is wicked. And many of you will know that these are false prophets, okay? But the first thing I want you to notice in this story is that, because uh, we often think false prophet, they're going to be, you know, prophesying in the name of some obviously false god, some different god, okay? And the first thing I want you to notice here is that they are not obviously prophesying in the name of a false god. They're not, they're just saying, in, the Lord says, they're speaking in God's name, okay? That's the first thing I want you to notice. And this is really important, okay? Because when we read the Old Testament, we tend to read the Old Testament with a real sense of smugness. We tend to read it with this sense of superiority like, you know, Ahab and Jehoshaphat. I mean, they're, just, they're idiots. Why are they listening to these false prophets, okay? And we think to ourselves, and the implication is, if I had lived back then, I would not have li- listened to those false prophets. The thing you have to realize about false prophets is this. False prophets are never obvious, okay? These guys are not walking around with tattoos on their foreheads that say, I'm a false prophet, okay? Hello, my name is whatever, I'm a false prophet. It's not that obvious, okay? And these guys start out and they're speaking the name of the Lord. You're going to see this. This gets confirmed later on, but they're speaking the name of the Lord and they're very positive. It's faith-filled. Oh, yes, the Lord is going to give you victory. Wow, that sounds good. Anyway, Jehoshaphat, for whatever reason, is a little suspicious of these guys. Maybe they were a little too positive, right? Jehoshaphat asked, is there not also a prophet of the Lord here? We should ask him the same question. And the king of Israel replied to Jehoshaphat, there's one more man who could consult the Lord for us, but I hate him. He never prophesies anything but trouble for me. His name is Micaiah, son of Imlah. Okay, right there again. We go, oh, look at this Ahab. But you know what? The spirit of Ahab, you know, we can all go, yeah, the wicked Ahab, and he doesn't actually want to know the truth. He just wants to hear what he wants to hear. But that same spirit of wickedness runs through all of us. We see right away, Ahab does not actually care about the truth. He cares about hearing something that feels good. He says, I don't, why would we go to, to Micaiah? He, he never prophesies anything but trouble for me. Well, Jehoshaphat replied, that's not the way a king should talk. Let's hear what he has to say. Okay? So the king of Israel called one of his officials and said, Quick, bring Micaiah, son of Imlah. And King Ahab of Israel and King Jehoshaphat of Judah, dressed in their royal robes, were sitting on the thrones at the threshing floor near the gate of Samaria. So they sent out their shek bangle to go get uh, a Micaiah, okay? A little gopher for those of you who don't know what that is. But anyway, they send out uh, the shek bangle to get Micaiah. And what, now they're just waiting, okay, for Micaiah to come back. And while they're waiting, well, we may as well get some more prophecies here, right? So they got the 400 prophets there, and these guys are prophesying away. And let's look at what they're prophesying, right? And all of Ahab's prophets were prophesying there in front of them. One of them, Zedekiah, son of Anna, or something, okay, made some iron horns. Okay, so I don't know how long they're sitting here, but he makes iron horns, all right? 
and, uh, and proclaimed, this is what the Lord says. With these horns, you will gore the Arameans to death. Okay? Now this is just, this is a faith-filled prophecy. And I want you to notice again, the Lord. Now, here you'll see that Lord is capitalized. Whenever you see the word Lord capitalized in your Bible, what it means is this is not the same word in Hebrew as when you just see Lord as normal. When all the letters are capitalized, that means they're translating this directly from the Hebrew word Yahweh. Okay? So these prophets are prophesying now in the name of Yahweh. They're just, they're like, so this is not, they're not prophesying the name of some false prophet. They're not even just prophesying in the name of God, under the title of God. They're prophesying in the name Yahweh, the holy, special, you know, unbelievable, uh, unbelievably precious name of, of God. Okay? So they're speaking in the name of Yahweh. And again, I, I want to just hit this home here. False prophets are not always obvious. And look at what they're prophesying again. They're such such positive, faith-filled thing. Oh, King Ahab, you are going to have victory in the name of Yahweh. You're going to gore these Syrians to death. Now that part's a little bit, you know, we don't normally do those kinds of prophecies, but it's faith-filled, positive prophecies, right? How many of you have ever stopped to think, let's just rabbit trail off this, let's just bring this home to modern times a little more. How many of you ever stopped to think that just because a person speaks faith-filled things in the name of Jesus, it's not necessarily coming from God? We tend to think, oh, this guy's just got so full of faith. He only speaks positive things in the name of Jesus. Oh, in the name of Jesus, what's going to happen to me? And, and what, what should I do, this or that? And the person comes along, oh, in the name of Jesus, you're just going to have victory. In the name of Jesus, you're just going to go and conquer. And God's just going to bless everything you're doing. And if you just have faith big enough, you're going to do all that. That's the same type of people as are speaking to Ahab here. Same type of people. So not obvious false prophets. They're speaking positive, blessed, faith-filled words in the name of Yahweh. And yet they are false prophets. Meanwhile, the messenger who went to get Micaiah said to him, Look, all the prophets are promising victory for the king, so be sure that you agree with them and, and, and promise success. Okay? But Micaiah replied, now here I just imagine this guy, he's got a long bony finger, okay, lots of facial hair, okay, and I don't know, it's not in the text. Someday I might meet him and he'll be just this super handsome guy and I'll say, what were you talking about, okay? But, I mean, he's crotchety and he's crusty, all right? He says, as surely as the Lord lives, I'm only going to say what the Lord tells me to say. I'm not just going to be blowing sunshine everywhere in this room, I'm going to say what God wants me to say. I will say only what the Lord tells me to say. When Micaiah arrived before the king, Ahab asked him, Micaiah, should we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or should we hold back? And I've got to cut pieces out of this story now because it just gets too long. But anyway, he gets to some other things are, ha- are happening here. And then Micaiah told him, in a vision, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said their master has been killed. So right here, okay, remember now again, you've got a bunch of guys, let's call them Christians they're prophesying in the name of the Lord. You got 400 Christians over here saying, victory, faith, blessing. And now you've got this one lone guy over here saying, Ahab, actually, if you go and do this, you're going to die. You're going to die. Their master has been killed. Send him home in peace. Now, I want you to notice what the king of Israel does. He complains. Didn't I tell you, the king of Israel exclaimed to Jehoshaphat, he never prophesies anything but trouble for me. You know, I actually heard a comment just this past week, not from someone in this church, so that's good. They might be listening on the radio. I'm, my apologies. But anyway, uh, I just heard a comment this week, someone complaining to me about someone else who told them the truth. But it just didn't feel good, right? 
I don't like how you told me the truth. Well, does that really matter, or does it just matter that you got the truth? So Micaiah says, actually, I know that all of these other Christians are saying, faith, 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 you're going to overcome and bless and just go ahead and do whatever you want. But I'm telling you, if you go and do it, that you're going to die. Now, one of them doesn't sound very merciful, but which one of these is actually merciful? You know, there's just, you know, I, just I, I just have to do, this is one part we just got to, no, you know, let's just do the next verse. Let's just do I'm going to get off track anyway. Let's fast forward a few verses and see what King Ahab and King Jehoshaphat do with this. Fast forward a few verses. They actually throw Micaiah in jail. There's another part that I don't want to open up a whole can of worms. I'm skipping that part of the story. But anyway, uh, verse 29. So King Ahab of Israel and King Jehoshaphat of Judah led their armies against Ramoth Gilead. No, so here we have Jehoshaphat's going along with this thing. He's the one that thought, thought these 400 guys over here maybe weren't speaking the name of the Lord. He asked for Micaiah. Micaiah gives him the truth. And then he just goes along with Ahab and they decide, we're going to ignore Micah. We got two sets of spe- people speaking the name of the Lord. These guys don't bother trying to get down to the bottom of what God's actually saying. We've got two people speaking the name of the Lord. We may as well just pick the one we want. So they're just going to go ahead and they're going to go ahead and do what they wanted to do to begin with. Okay? Now let me just make a comment about our culture. Because this actually, to me, just speaks exactly to where our Christian culture is here in North America right now. We have vast swaths of the church following after a small group of teachers and authors who only speak blessing positive things. And they ignore judgment, hell, uh, you know, standing before the judgment seat of Christ, accountability, holiness, the fear of the Lord. They ignore all those parts of Scripture. I mean, and that's a big chunk of Scripture. That, I mean, you've got to take Revelation out. You've got to take most of First and Second Peter out. You've got to take most of the book of Jude out. Chunks of Hebrews, pieces of James, lots of pieces scattered throughout the epistles. All the parts in the Gospels where Jesus talks about hell, judgment, and all these sorts of things. All of the major and minor prophets, for sure half of the Psalms, and certainly all of the Pentateuch. And what you're left with is just a few little pieces of the Bible. You piece them together and you only preach out of those things. You only speak about the grace of God. And by the way, I love the grace of God. Oh, amen. I'm going to speak about it when, we, when I speak about the law in May. Love the grace of God. But they only speak about the grace of God and not at all about the fear of the Lord. Well, you've got to have both. They only speak about the forgiveness of God and not about the accountability and the judgment of God. And you've got vast swaths of the church following these people, not because they don't have a desire to actually open up their Bibles and look at what is the testimony of the entire Scripture and let me find what is actually the truth. They don't care about the truth. They just want to believe what feels good. And more and more, there's authors now writing that hell is not a real place. And people just flock after it. They don't actually read the Bible for themselves, that there's lots of passages in Scripture about hell, and lots of them very literal. I'm just going to throw all those out. I just want to hear what I want to hear. And Paul said exactly this would happen. 2 Timothy 4 verse 3. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And what we have now in the church is people read the Old Testament and they go, Oh, that wicked Ahab. And the spirit of Ahab is running through our church churches and the church body in North America here today. Ahab did not care about the truth. He just wanted to hear what he wanted to hear. Well, let's see how that worked out for him. Back to 1 Kings 22. 
king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, As we go into battle, I will disguise myself so no one will recognize me, but you wear your royal robes. Now let me just stop there for a second. Some friend he is. <laughs> I can't believe Jehoshaphat's going along with this guy. What? Okay, you, we're going to go into battle here. I'm going to disguise myself. You keep looking like a king. Yeah. And Jehoshaphat does it. I just, what, what are you, crazy. So the king of Israel disguised himself and they went into battle. Meanwhile, the king of Aram, that's Syria again, had issued these orders to his 32 chariot commanders, attack only the king of Israel. Okay, don't bother with anyone else. So when the Aramean chariot commanders saw Jehoshaphat in his royal robes, they went after him. There's the king of Israel, they shouted. But when Jehoshaphat called out, the chariot commanders realized he was not the king of Israel. They stopped chasing him. An Aramean soldier, however, randomly, so they're not even really fighting. And this guy just, bing, and he shoots an arrow, all right? He just randomly shoots an arrow at the Israelite troops. I'm going to, I just feel like killing someone today. Don't tell me to do nothing. I've got all dressed up here. And, uh, and he hits the king of Israel between the joints of his armor, all right? Turn the horses and get me out of here, Ahab groaned to the driver of his chariot. I'm badly wounded. So the battle, and now they are, so now they are fighting. So first they say, okay, just fight the king of Israel and forget about Jehoshaphat, but now they're going. So the battle raged all that day, and the king remained propped up in his chariot facing the Aramaeans. And the blood from his wound ran down to the floor of his chariot, and as evening arrived, he died. Just like Micaiah said. Just like Micaiah said. Just as the sun was setting, the cry ran through, the, through his troops, we're done for, run for your lives. So the king died, and his body was taken to Samaria and buried there. And his chariot was washed beside the pool of Samaria, and dogs came and licked his blood. I mean, you can't fault the Bible for not adding all the details in, right? At the place where the prostitutes were bathed, just as the Lord had promised. Let me ask you two questions. First question. Who was easier to listen to at first, Micaiah or the false prophets? Well, I mean the false prophets, okay? Second question. Who was better to listen to? It's a big difference between who's easier to listen to and who's better to listen to. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 5 says this, It is better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than for one to listen to the song of fools. It is better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than for one to listen to the song of fools. Rebukes never feel good, do they? I mean, a rebuke, nobody likes getting a rebuke. No one likes hearing hard truths they don't want to hear. But the Bible is so clear. It is better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than to listen to the sunny, positive songs of fools. And would it have hurt Ahab to listen to Micaiah? Up front, it would have cost him a little bit of pain. I mean, to listen to Micaiah would have meant not doing, giving up his dreams and doing the things that he wanted to do. So that would have been painful. It would have meant humbling himself. Yeah, I, listen, I took Micaiah's advice, not the other guy's. It would have cost him some, a little bit of pain on the front end. But it would have saved him a long, slow, painful death on the back end. The amazing thing to me is God's mercy in all of this. If you read 1 Kings 22, God actually wants King Ahab dead. But the fact that he still has enough mercy to send a Micaiah there to have the guts to tell him the truth. It's better, 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 better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than to listen to the song of fools. So with that in mind, let me just hit these three characteristics. You're looking for someone, you, you think you're hearing God, you're about to make a big decision in your life, and you want to go to someone for some confirmation and advice. You want to go to someone who is, first of all, godly. What do I mean by godly? 
By godly, I mean character. I don't mean someone who just comes to church all the time and speaks the name of Jesus and everything that they say, and they maybe spend hours in prayer all the time. Those are wonderful things. But those are secondary. That's not what I'm talking about because people can play religious games and not have godly character. When I talk about the type of person, when you're about to make a big decision and you want to get confirmation and discern what God's will is, you want to go to someone who has godly character. When I think about godly character, I think of people, first of all, with integrity. They are the same person when they're at church as when you're not looking and they're at, in the workplace. When they sign their name on a contract, it means something. When they shake your hand, it means something. When they tell you they're going to do something, they're going to do it, and they're the type of people who have the courage to tell you the truth. Godly character. Second thing you're looking for is wise. Wisdom. Again, I want to stress this. When I have a big decision in my life to make, I don't just go to anyone. I don't just go to anyone. See, people think, well, anybody can hear God, so anybody is good to go for. If I need confirmation, I'll just go to anyone. Well, I know they listen in prayer, so I may as well just go to them, and they can listen to God and help me get confirmation. No. I only go to people who have wisdom. I mean, if, you're, if you feel like God's telling you to make some big business decision, you don't go for confirmation to someone who's got a long litany of financial disasters. You just don't do it. You say, well, yeah, but they get these wonderful revelations from God. I know they do listening prayer all the time. And I say, and look how that's working out for them. When I want parenting confirmation, I don't go to someone who's bombing with their kids. I don't do it. I want to go to wise people who the fruit of wisdom is in their life. You don't just go to anyone. Let me just, let me bring up sales here for more. I'm going to talk about this more next week as well. When I have a big decision to make, I don't just go to my cell and plop down on a Tuesday night, get everybody around and say, this is what I feel God's telling me. Help me figure it out. Not a chance. Cell group is a wonderful place to pray for people, encourage people, confess sins, do accountability, and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, I'll have them pray for me when I'm making a big decision. But I don't just include anyone from cell in the confirmation process. If you want to get confirmation, that's something you maybe take your cell leader and a couple other trusted people. You go off alone and you do it. You just get just a big group of anyone to do that. You want people with godly character and they're wise. Because you can have 400 people all telling you, yeah, 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 you're doing great. You're full of faith. And they're patting your back right off the cliff. Woo, you're doing so, woo. Woo. You don't want just anyone. That just defeats the purpose of getting confirmation. You want godly, wise people. Godly, wise people. And of course, the third one, what I've been hammering home here the whole time, is they're not afraid to tell you what you don't want to hear. All right? Now, I want to get into some intensely practical guidelines now, but we just have to jump ahead now. I know there's a sixth test. I'm going to mention it next week, but we've got to jump ahead now to guideline number two. Okay? And so far in this series, we've been looking at everything from the one side of the coin, which is the side of the coin, I feel like I'm hearing God say something to me, so I need to get confirmation, right? That's the side of the coin we've been looking at everything uh, from so far in this series. Now we need to look at it from the flip side of of the coin, which is someone is coming to me. Someone else is hearing something God's telling them, and they're coming to me to get confirmation. And this fits right in with where we're at in this message right now because we need to have some guidelines on both sides to keep people safe. 
We need to have guidelines on the side of when I'm hearing God, what do I do so I can be safe? And we also need to have guidelines. Now I'm the confirmer and someone's coming to me. What am I allowed to say to them and what am I not allowed to say to them? This is really important. So let's talk about guideline number two. Someone comes to you now and they're saying, I feel God is saying this, help me. Here's a guideline for you when you are the confirmer. Don't give directive words to other people about non-moral issues. Say it again. Don't give directive words to other people about non-moral issues. I'm going to explain what that means now right away. Don't give directive words to other people about non-moral issues. So someone comes to you and they say, um, what do I take, job A or job B? Okay, I've got these two, two choices. And they come to you and you're their cell leader or whatever. So you do some listening prayer. Oh, Lord, yes. I just sense your presence here tonight. Just... Job B. That's a directive word. <laughs> do not ever do something like that. You do not want to be... For, let me ask you this. Do you want to be responsible for what happens now the next 10 years when they take that train and you told them, you spoke on behalf of God and told them what they should do? You don't want, I don't want that responsibility. And that thing goes sour and now they're blaming God and they're mad at God and their life is a mess and actually the problem was you. We do not give directive words to other people about non-moral issues. Let me define directive word. A directive word is any time you tell someone what to do as a result of listening prayer or prophetic word. So I'll read that again. A directive word... By the way, this is, this is mercy. Speaking about this is mercy on two sides. It's mercy to all of you that someone won't do it to you, and it's mercy to you that you won't have it on your conscience that you did it to someone else. I mean, the, the charismatic movement is littered with the bones and the disasters and the wrecks of people doing these things. God told me you need to do this. God told me you're healed. You can stop taking your pills. God told me this. God told me that. And we're just not going to go there. We're not going to go down those wacky rails here at Southland. So a directive word is anytime you tell someone what to do as a result of listening prayer or prophetic word, okay? Uh, now, this is different than advice, and I'm going to explain that in just a minute. I'm going to come back to that point also next week. But a directive word is coming out of prayer. You're, it's like you're speaking out of, you're speaking as if for God. They are receiving it as you're doing this because of the Holy Spirit. And so out of prayer, you're praying for someone, and you say things like, as you're praying for them, I sense I sense God saying you should go this way. That's a directive word. I feel like God is saying you should do this. That's a directive word. It's coming out of prayer, listening prayer. They are receiving it as the Holy Spirit is speaking to them through you about something they should do. Do not do it. Do not do it. Now, this is different from advice. I'm going to talk more about advice next week. Advice is when, I'm not doing it on behalf of God, but maybe, you know, you're a financial planner. Or you're just a parent and, and your kid is coming to you for relational advice or whatever. You're not speaking on behalf of God. You're speaking on behalf of some amount of wisdom that you have. And you say, well, based on what I know about these two companies, I used to work at company B, and I just think it'll fit your personality better. I think you'll do better there. That's a different thing than saying, I sense God saying, right? So advice is okay. Even with advice, you want to be very, very careful. Because again, think it, you, you have responsibility. Don't just throw out advice. Realize that if they follow up on it, what's going to happen to them? But we for certainly do not give directive words about non-moral issues. Say, well, what's a non-moral issue? A non-moral issue is any issue that isn't specifically addressed in the Bible. 
Okay, it's not a blatant sin issue. It's not adultery, lying, stealing, those sorts of things. I mean, on blatant moral issues, you just give directive words. No problem. That's part of your job, in fact. You know, I, I remember a number of years ago, and I've shared this story before, but he's, he's not from around here, and so it's, it's uh, and, but I've had similar circumstances like this. I, don't, I just don't want to embarrass anyone, but, um, but I remember one time a guy just came, and, oh, I'm just, I'm falling in love with this woman. I just sense we're being brought together. And she happens to be a married woman. And right there, woo, directive word time. I said to him, I said right there, I said, you are, that God is not bringing you two together. She's married, Okay. I said to him, you should never, and I said it over a longer period of time, and I tried to couch it and make it gracious, but the long and short of it was I told him, um, basically, you should never see that woman again. You should run from her as fast as you can and as far as you can, and if you do pursue a relationship with her, you're going to face judgment from God. That's what I told him. Now, that's a directive word, right? But I can give a directive word about that because it's a direct sin issue. You know, someone comes to you, and they say, you know, um, I feel like, uh, you know, a number of years ago I stole something from so-and-so. I feel like God is telling me that I need to pay restitution. You don't even have to do listening prayer with them. You give them a directive word. The answer is yes, you should pay restitution. The only possible reason to do listening prayer about that is to do listening prayer about how much extra you should pay them back. That's the only reason you would need to do listening prayer there. Okay? So in the confirmation process, you can certainly give directive words about about clear moral issues. But when it's job A or job B, school D or school E, medication X or medication Y, we're not going there with directive words. And I'm going to come back to the medication one in just a few minutes. See, many of you are in a place, you're in a position, whether you're here on staff, or again, you're a parent, or you're a cell leader, uh, like myself, and there's a responsibility because people come to you for confirmation. They come to you and they feel God speaking to you. That's a, that is a responsibility we need to take seriously. And it's one, it's certainly a part of my job here that I take very seriously. Over the years, I've had many people come into my office to pray with me about big decisions on non-moral issues that are not clear sin issues. Stuff like, I think God's telling me to sell my business. Uh, stuff about relationships. Stuff about money. And all these types of things. I have people come in and they want to pray with me. And here's what I often, some of you are here today. And here's what I often tell people right off the front. They come in and sit down with me. They say, I want prayer. I feel God is telling me this about this. And I'll tell them right off the front. I'll just say, I am not going to tell you what to do. And you go, what's the point of coming to you? Why do we pay tithes? You're supposed to tell us what God's telling us to do. Here's the thing. I refuse. See, in the confirmation process, your role is not to play God to them. In the confirmation process, your role is not to speak on behalf of God. His job is to speak. Your job is to confirm. There's a very big difference there. Your job in the confirmation process is to help them discern what God is already saying. Not to speak for God. Just having that realization in your attitude will keep you from hurting a bunch of people. Realize, no matter how strongly you feel the spiritual feelings that are washing over you as you pray for someone, recognize that it is not your job to talk on behalf of God. Your job is to help them discern what God is already saying. You say, well, again, the question comes up, well, what's left? I mean, if I can't tell them what God's saying, if I can't tell them what to do, what can I do? And there's actually lots I'll just cover two things in this message. We'll cover another two or three things next week. There's lots of things. You're not going to tell them what to do in a non-moral issue. You're not going to tell someone job A or job B. You're not going to tell someone, they say, I think God's called me to move there. You're not going to tell them yes or no. 
But there are some things you can do. Number one, your job, something you can do, something that is actually your responsibility as a confirmer, is, as I said before, to point out their moral obligations, okay? Obvious sin in the demands of Scripture. So someone comes, in, comes to you, job A or job B, no, I'm not going to tell you which one, but as they're sharing with you what they're hearing, it's your job to point out moral obligations that they might be missing or inconsistencies with Scripture that they might be missing. I mean, one example that I, I can share um, uh, happens a lot, stuff like this. Someone comes to you and they say, you know, I feel like God's telling me to quit my job and, and, and then I'm going to uh, pursue a different job. And right there as a, conf- as a con- confirmer, okay, someone comes to me with this, I would ask another question. Well, what are you going to do after you quit your job? Well, that's where I'm going to spend lots of time in a prayer room and I'm just going to pray, I'm going to rely on God and he's going to give me this other job. And right there, it's my job as confirmer to bring up something like 2 Thessalonians 3.10, which says, if a man will not work, he should not eat. Right? Isn't that my job? Right? Right then? Someone comes to me and they just say, well, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to just, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to pray until God gives me this other job. Well, actually, you're not hearing God quite right there because there's a moral obligation you're missing there, which is, if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. The Bible says you should work. So let me help you discern what God is really saying. God is saying, keep working and pray for a different job and look for a different job. Okay? That's really important, right? That's part of our job, moral obligation. Let me just take a little rabbit trail here on the whole job thing, okay? It just fits into this whole confirmation thing. You know, one of the things I see, over-spiritualization, I keep hitting this word over-spiritualization this year. It'll probably go on for a while yet. I just feel like the Holy Spirit is... Is, is pushing something. But over-spiritualization has many different forms, and it creeps into Christian circles sometimes in this idea people have that they're waiting around for God to give them the perfect job. And they're just waiting around and waiting around. They're waiting months and months and months and months and months and months for God to give them this job in this one certain area where they're gifted and where they're called. And you know what? That just isn't biblical. It's not biblical. Proverbs says this, Proverbs 18.9, a lazy person is as bad as someone who destroys things. So we over-spiritualize it. Well, I'm just trusting in God. The Lord is just going to have to provide. And the answer is no. You, need, you, you don't just wait for the Lord to provide while you're waiting for him to give you a perfect job. You get any job, and then you keep praying and looking for that perfect job. You know, Pastor Ray, great example of this. Uh, Pastor Ray has been, you know, leading here at Southland for whatever it is, 1,500 years or something like that. Okay, long time. Okay. Um, The two years before he was here, okay, two master's degrees, okay, two seminary master's degrees, okay. He's got a master's in BS, first of all, biblical studies. (laughs) I don't know how you took it, but that's just what the, that's what the degree is anyway, and a master's is something else, okay. That's the only one I remember. Um, But anyway, so he's got two master's degrees, and, he's, and we've moved from southern Ontario to Manitoba for the express reason that he feels called by God into ministry. So he's looking for a job in ministry, and he's got these two degrees, and there's just no ministry opportunities. And uh, he's, he's trying, oh, ministry opportunities. God, you moved us here for ministry. I've got these degrees. Uh, yeah, and, and okay, well, there's no ministry opportunities to open up. Well, okay, now try flying because he used to fly before he was a pastor. And, and so he tried that and all those doors got shut. You know, he ended up on a truck doing long distance hauling for two years, okay? Now, I just need to put in a caveat here about truckers because some things I'm going to say. First of all, trucking is an honorable profession. Yes, okay, good. 
Um, if you're a trucker here today, we love you. Thank God for truckers because you bring food to the stores so we can buy it and eat, okay? So we love truckers. Lots of you truckers, uh, you know, you love your job, and we want you to keep coming to Southland and tithing, okay? Very important. <laughs> okay, so anyway, now I've said all that. We love truckers, but Pastor Ray didn't like trucking, okay? It just didn't fit his personality, his life goals, or his calling, Right? Well, that's just not my calling. I can't can't do that job. I'm waiting for this job. And so trucking wasn't his calling. Didn't fit his personality. He hated it. He just hated it. He was gone for long periods. For two years, he was gone for long periods of time. All four of us kids were still at home. In fact, two of my siblings were going right off the wacky rails right then while he was on on the truck. And there was many times he just wanted nothing more than to quit and come home and have a job in ministry and, and help with the family. And you know, there was one thing that kept him from just quitting and coming home was this truth. That if a man does not work, he should not eat. And he knew that his number one responsibility before God was to work and to provide for the family. And you know what the amazing thing is? When you do your part and obey the scripture, God takes care of his part. So for two years, he did a job that he absolutely hated. And he was worried about the kids. And he was worried about the family. And you know, in the end, what does God do? God works it out. In the end, he gets to finally do the job that he was called to do. But he gets to do it in God's time. And all of us four kids, well, I'm a little messed up, okay? I'm a little weird. But we all at least turned out loving Jesus. And that's the biggest thing, right? We're all here in the church and serving, doing those sorts of things. You do your part, God does his. Don't over-spiritualize things. And when you're the confirmer, that's your job and responsibility, to point out those kinds of things. They're speaking to you, and a little red flag goes off in your heart, and you go, you know what, actually, I know you think God's saying to you that to you, and you're really passionate about it, and you're so convinced, but actually the Bible doesn't doesn't match up. That's your job as a confirmer. Sharing lots of examples here, because I want this point to be really clear. I want to go to medication now, and and, uh, this is a really important example to talk about, because again, there's, there's horror stories about this one, okay? God healed you to stop taking your pills, stuff like that, Okay? Uh, what do you do if someone comes to you? And it will happen. It's happened to me a number of times. And someone comes to you with the question, um, I think God's telling me to stop taking my medication. Or I think God's telling me to try a different medication. What are you going to do? Let me tell you what you're going to do. No, let me tell you what you're not going to do. What we're not going to do here at Southland, we're going to put some guidelines on this thing. And you will never, ever give someone a directive word about medication. Is that, can I just hear an amen on that? Not because it's good preaching, but because it's the right thing to do. Amen, right? I'm again, do you want that responsibility? See, what happens sometimes in these circles is people get carried away. It's a healing night or something, which is awesome. We believe in healing. I love it. Lots of people get healed here. But you get carried away in momentum and the faith is building. You start telling people things that later can come back to haunt you. You don't want that on your conscience. The Bible doesn't tell us what medications to take or when or whatever. It's a non-moral issue, and that is a decision between the person and God and their doctor. So if ever someone comes to you or comes to your cell and it's a medication issue, can you pray for them? Yes. Can you listen in prayer for them? Yes. You can listen in prayer and say, God, give us some things to encourage this person, to give them the proper perspective about this, and God will give you some pictures and some verses that will help them, but in no way will you say to them, you should take you know, treatment X, or you should stop taking your medication. Don't even give them permission. Don't even give them permission. Don't even say anything like this. Uh, they say, I think God's telling me to stop taking my medication, and you go, yeah, I sense that that could be right. Don't even say that. Don't even go there. 
I want to make sure we have this clear, so let me just read a couple things that you will not say. I sense God saying that you can stop taking your medication. God told me you should try this particular treatment. God has healed you so you can stop taking your medication. These are all things we don't do here at Southland. We don't give directive words like that coming out of prayer about an issue such as that. All right? Now that's, I think that's a good guideline. I think that makes us all a lot safer, and uh, it's going to keep us from, some, from doing some things that will make us feel guilty later or hurt someone, right? Okay, second one is... Uh, so what can I do? Someone comes to, comes to me. I'm not going to give them a directive word about some of these issues out of prayer. I am going to point out moral obligations and sin and that sort of thing. And another thing I'm going to do is I'm going to point out uh, obvious errors in judgment, right? I want to be a Micaiah. We all want to be Micaiahs, okay? Now, you say, what, okay, what's the difference between this one and number one? Well, I just said in number one, we're not going to give people direction in non-moral issues. But sometimes someone will share something. And you will just sense in your spirit, ah, it's technically not a moral issue, and yet something's wrong here. This is a mistake. And in the confirmation process, you want to speak up then. Let me give you an example, okay? I'm going to take an example from far overseas, so I'm not stepping on any toes, okay? I was meeting several weeks ago with a man from our church, awesome guy, uh, used to be a, a missionary in the Ukraine. And I met with him a couple times several weeks ago because I just wanted to hear his story and what God had done out there and how he had ended up here at Southland. And so he's telling me a story. In the, in, you know, as he's telling me his story, he just shares about how while he was out in the Ukraine, because it, it was just recently that he was out there, there was this big uh, a church, a pastor of a big church, that ran a big scam and built millions of dollars out of people. And uh, so I just, you know, so we talked about that and we went back to his story. But a little flag went up in my head. And I thought to myself, I want to I see what that was all about. Because I'm just, as a pastor, I'm curious. What's happening in the body of Christ around the world? And I'm especially sensitive to scandals and prosperity stuff and finance stuff and that sort of thing. And so uh, after he was gone, I looked up the, the news stories. And I found out, sure enough, the story was totally true. It's going on right now. I'll just name the guy, because some of you will go online and look for it anyway. It's in the news, and other pastors have, have uh, na- it's, it's an obvious thing, but his name is Sunday Adalaja, and pastor of the biggest church in Europe, okay? Uh, huge mega church, major prosperity church. Prosperity, prosperity, prosperity. And anyway, um, this pastor Adalaja came up with basically what was a pyramid scheme, Call it, called it King's Capital, Capital okay? Very spiritual sounding name. And uh, lots of people from the church, he was talking about it in church, lots of people invested in this thing. And then last year, people started trying to take money out, and they couldn't take money out. And then the whole thing collapsed, $100 million gone, okay? And of course, in the Ukraine, people are a lot poorer than they are here. Lots of people lost everything in this scam, okay? So just, just a horrible scam. Well, now, so I'm reading these news articles. I'm reading about this, right, as, of course, as we're doing this series. And this, this question just comes into my mind. And I thought to myself, this is what I thought to myself, okay? I bet a whole bunch of people, okay? I bet a whole bunch of people thought they heard God telling them to buy into that scam, don't you? I mean, a pastor's saying it's got a spiritual sounding name. We've got men of integrity running this thing. We're going to advance the kingdom. We're going to do all this sort of stuff. I bet you a whole bunch of people thought they heard God telling them to buy into this business, now let me ask you a question. And they, legitimate, they will have legitimately thought it was God speaking to them, I'm sure. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that God actually told even one person to buy into that scam? Do you think so? Not a chance. You think almighty, holy God 
leads people to do things like that? Not a chance. And yet I can guarantee you that a whole bunch of people thought they heard him saying to do that. So that just got me thinking again. Because we can hear wrong, right? We can totally hear wrong. And it got me thinking on the hypothetical question. What if I lived out there? And I want you to put yourself in those shoes too. What if you lived out there? And someone you loved came to you. Someone from your cell. Someone from your family. Someone, a friend, whatever it is. And they came to you and they're all pumped. Oh, the stuff we're going to do for the kingdom of God. And I'm buying into this thing. I feel God tell me to do it. And, and they come to you for confirmation. What would you do? Well, on the surface, you might think to yourself, well, it's a non-moral issue. Generally, if someone would come to me and say, I'm trying to figure out which company should I invest in, company X or company Y, stay far away. I'm not going to tell you anything about that. I am going to pray for you. I'm going to love you, but I'm not going to do listening prayer and come out and say you invest in this company. Normally, I would say stay away from it. But as you listen to a person tell you something like this, a little red flag goes up in your heart, right? You go, well... And so after you talk to them, you don't just spout off at the top of your mouth. You go and do a bit of research because you care about them, right? And it's, it's actually easy. I, I'm, I might even preach a message about it at some point this year. I might just do a one message just about scams because I'm actually told by experts in this area that uh, Steinbeck is actually uh, a magnet for scam artists. And, uh, and again, I don't, I'm not blasting people who have been a part of a scam. They're usually the victims. They're, they've been duped by people they trust, right? But you do a bit of research and you can quickly find out, okay, this guy is promising unrealistic returns. He's promising this and that. This is clearly a bad scam. Well, it's right then that that's your job. That's your responsibility to have the courage not to just stand there and pat their back. Oh, have faith. God's going to do this. Well, I won't invest. It's not really for me. But you can as they go off the cliff. Oh, God bless you. You've got so much faith. What a great opportunity for you. Let's not be those types of people. Someone comes to you for confirmation, you want to point out moral obligations, and you want to point out obvious errors in judgment when you see them, right? We'll finish off with a few more things you want to do, but bow your heads with me and and close your eyes. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we want to be a church that hears your voice more. There's no question we want to hear your voice more. We need to hear you. Um, But Lord, we want to be a church body that exercises wisdom. We want to be a church body that exercises wisdom, Father. I just pray, Father, that you would help us to grow in this thing of discerning your voice. And I thank you, Jesus, for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.